Tip to the far boards, and Miller held in left point. Hit on the slot for Horvat. He scores! He's had a career year, career run, and he's looking for his money. He deserves it. I don't blame him. We're in a pickle here, okay? That's a dilly of a pickle. Hey, let's conference you with Marge, huh? No! 801 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of this program, which is now underway. Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk right here on Sportsnet 650. He's going to join us in a moment. Hour three of this program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Finally, uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, can you tell the people more about Kintech and their orthotics and their footwear and their 1,500 five-star Google reviews? I'm wearing uh, Kintech orthotics right now, and nice. I feel incredible. I've got, I've got a hop in my step, despite the Canucks. Uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Joining us now, it's the Drancer on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Drance? Not much, boys. How are you? We're well. It's been a morning. I'll tell you what. It has been a morning. We had so much to digest from Jim Rutherford's near-hour-long media availability yesterday that we've actually kind of taken to asking different people different parts of the equation here because it's almost impossible to try and encapsulate it all on our own. So we talked to Wish about certain parts of it. We're talking to you about certain parts of it now. I won't even do the biggest takeaway thing because Jason and I kind of covered that. We said the biggest takeaway for us was that it's going to be a retool. It's not going to be a rebuild. So Sure. And we talked about the coaching with Wish. So if you want to take a stab at, I don't know, the Bo Horvat situation, if you want to take a stab at the Elise Pedersen situation. Really, you can go in a variety of directions here because I think I counted. It was about 18 significant talking points from Rutherford yesterday and what was <laughs> the kind of press conference you just don't get all the time. But, man. I, I, I love how Rutherford waved away the Canucks PR team. Yeah. That was like that was oh, like was a awesome. – it was like a boxing match where he's like, don't throw the towel. He's like, cut me, Mick, cut me, Mick. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get in there. I want to keep fighting. Your answer, what was your big takeaway from yesterday? Well, as a performance, right? Like as an exercise in executive stamina, it was old school. It was throwback, right? I mean, it almost felt like there should be people smoking indoors. Like it felt like a um, the sort of availability you'd have gotten, you know, in the, in the 70s. Like it was awesome from that perspective. And it was frank and it was on. And so, you know, I like all that. I just, I, I can't understand how this organization can sell another retool in this market, given how the last 10 years have transpired. Like, I just don't see how that's a winning pitch to a fan base that's already lacking significantly in confidence in this organization, right? And it's not necessarily about Rutherford entirely, right? Like he's only been enmeshed in this organ in this market for 13 months or so, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't understand how the I don't think how the echoes of what he's talking about sort of pick at some of the scar tissue that's been accumulated, right? Over a decade of of not just losing 
but losing in a way that doesn't benefit you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do, do you think he do you think he just is he doesn't care? Because you kind of like and I don't mean about the job. He doesn't care about what was done before him. He's got a way that he's going to go about his business and that is going to be a retool. Yeah, I mean I think he believes that they can turn this around quickly. I think he believes that he has some franchise level players, certainly Elias Pettersson, and that if they can get the right group around, that they can, you know, at, at least be a, a good team. And I think he thinks he can do it in a couple of years. And you know, I'm I'm fading that, right? Like uh, I'm yeah. fading that just because the problem with the problem with the cap era Right, the hard cap error, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> but the problem that you're facing here is if players don't consistently take below market, right? Like if you can't rely on a steady stream of cheap labor in the form of either prospects or players so desperately wanting to be on your team that they leave money on the table consistently in doing their deals, right? Yep. I don't see how you build a team like that. You know, it, it's one thing to be, um, sorry, Tampa Bay or Colorado or, or the New York Rangers, right? Or, or frankly, and, and I know I just like to say this to trigger everybody, but or the Toronto Maple Leafs where you can get like a Giordano at 800K and he plays like a top four defenseman. Yeah. But, but it, you either can rely on that to stay at the top or you, or you better have a ton of prospects. <laughs> like that's just that's just the nature of the business. I mean, it says a lot to me that this team has you know one of the most loyal soldiers in its recent history, sort of coming up, and the way that the negotiation played out, like the idea of a below market deal or a team friendly deal, is you know out, out the window, as Rutherford sort of explained. You know, and, and, and that's partly the negotiation and how it's unfolded. It's partly a reflection of on-ice performance, but it's also partly a statement about just how desirable this organization is at the moment from a player's perspective. Uh, I think a point sort of underlined by the recent Tanner Pearson, Quinn Hughes, Frupera. And uh, so I just think you end up in a spot where it's really difficult. Like it's really difficult to change the minds of, you know, an industry of NHL players across the board to achieve the type of efficiency that you need to achieve. If you're going to be one of 32, Hey, if you're going to be a top five team among 32. So we're sort of in locked it into a repetitive process now. And, and again, that, that repetition is not on Rutherford, but, for Canucks fans, it's hard to separate it. And as such, you sort of just fuel this lack of confidence, right? And questions like, how did they change management teams but not change their approach? What's really going on? What level of independence does hockey operations have? And, and on and on down the road, just because you know, for whatever reason, 
we go round and round and nothing ever changes. Canucks fans are on a hamster wheel. Yeah. Or are you only going to get a job with the Vancouver Canucks in a managerial capacity if you say, I don't want to rebuild? Right. That could be the other alternative as opposed to like that's constantly the, getting awesome. emails like, don't rebuild, don't rebuild, don't rebuild. <laughs> the only way you get in your foot in the, your foot in the door is saying like, I can fix this and I can fix this pretty quickly. I enjoy. Well, I very much enjoyed your back and forth with with Jim yesterday when he said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, he said, well, what do you think is a quick turnaround? And you said three years. And he was like, oh, yeah, three years. Yeah, we can, we can turn it around. He was like, I, I, it was almost like, oh, I thought you were going to say seven days or something like that. You know, like it was, <laughs> it's, to me, like that, that is the real disconnect between management and a fan base that has been going through this failure of a retool for seven or eight years or, or you know like if i hear him say like i know everyone wants this done quickly one more time i'm like nobody is saying that like do you want to do you want access to the dunbar lumber text line to see what people are saying because no one is saying this like they better fix this tomorrow or i'm gonna leave right no one is saying that well and so so this is sort of one of the things that you bump into like it's kind of a neat delineation point but when the pittsburgh penguins won in 09 so when they won their first cup right they won it as like what i'd call the first team built entirely in the cap era right because the new york uh, sorry the detroit red wings won the year before that and that team was obviously established like 10 years earlier um you've got carolina in the first year of the of the cap you've got anaheim um anaheim did a lot once the hard cap was already installed but also you know, Crosby's first season is the first season in the hard cap. Like, by the time the Penguins win in 09, I think you can say, hey, that team was constructed in the cap era. And if you look at all the cup winners since then, you'll bump into three top 10 picks in a five-year stretch. And for most teams, it's like three top five picks in, in a five-year stretch. For most teams, it's four top 10 picks in a five-year stretch like the the you know i have to reduce it to three to accommodate the boston bruins and the washington capitals who sort of got like ov backstrom alsner in, in a three in three consecutive years and, and that was sort of that for them and so you know like where do cup winners come from they come from the bottom of the standings period um you can you retool on the fly successfully like i think you can but I think what it requires pretty fundamentally is just an outrageous amount of luck at the draft table. And truly it is luck. Like, you know, in Boston's case, you get McAvoy, you get Pasternak in the mid to late rounds. But those two drafts are also punctuated by them blowing three picks in a yeah, row. Three in a row. Right? It's like horrible so it's like picks. Horrible picks. So it's like you can't tell me that there's some great skill there. It, when you're blowing three picks, <laughs> you know, like when you're passing on Kyle Connor and Matt Barzell to take Zach Sanishin, like, you know, it, you're, you're not, it's not a repeatable skill that you're always going to land superstar level contributors. And I know McAvoy and Pasternak aren't necessarily like the highest profile guys, but let's be real. That's a Norris candidate defenseman and one of the top offensive catalysts in the league. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, if you can, if you can do that, then maybe you can pull it off. Um, if you're the Dallas Stars and you land three franchise players from, from 40 picks, <laughs> like they did in 2017, like, sure, fine. Then maybe you can pull it off. 
But I mean, it's, it's luck. It, it takes an extraordinary amount of luck. And so where I get concerned about this is if the Canucks remain dead set on a retool, what they're going to effectively be doing is walking a tightrope, right? It's like there's a very narrow path. You need a, a tremendous amount of luck. And the way is fraught. The way is fraught because you're trying, just like when you're on a tightrope, to defy gravity. The, the gravity, the natural gravity of the NHL system rewards teams at the bottom. And so the teams that are rebuilding at the moment anyway, while the Canucks are delicately trying to walk this tightrope, are on a highway, a freeway. And so you think you're trying to catch the teams ahead of you. You're focused on Alberta and on, you know, the expansion cousins in Seattle and Vegas. But the real threats are what we just saw with the LA Kings, where you can rebuild intelligently, thoughtfully, with purpose, even as the Canucks are pretending they're on the come-up, and three, four years later, you're, like, clearly ahead of them. Like, the LA Kings are clearly better than the Canucks and have gotten, like, the fifth-worst goaltending in the league this year. Like, what does this team look like if they, if they had a goalie at some point with the cap flexibility and the, and the you know, absolute army of prospects that they've got? And, and we're just going to repeat this process with the Anaheim Ducks. Like, look at that Ducks team. Look, they have, they have 10 picks in the first three rounds for the next two years, and they'll add to that by trading at the deadline the next year. I mean, that's, that's the problem. It's not just that you can't catch the teams ahead of you. It's that you also get passed and lapped by the teams behind you when you're so dead set on taking the absolute toughest, most illogical route to building a contending team. How difficult is it going to be to shed cap space? Because Jim Rutherford essentially said, listen, I can't really get to work here until um, we get some of these contracts off the books. And I get that. He's right. You can't really do much until you get these contracts off the books. Um, do you think the reason it's been so difficult is that because just nobody wants those contracts or they've been unwilling to accept certain returns or even unwilling to include sweeteners to get rid of these contracts? Because that to me, um, I mean, it sounds like to me that that's Jim Rutherford's biggest frustration right now is he feels stuck, like he can't go to work. He can't be Trader Jim. Yeah, I, the problem, Jason, that I see, and I was sort of, I was trying to write a line that's like with no cap relief on the immediate horizon until, and then I went to the cap friendly page just to be like, okay, when am I going to say that they start to have some cap flexibility? Like, when does this open up? And, you know, I didn't model it at length, but I just sort of looked at it. And, and I think the problem you're going to bump into here is that you have no meaningful expirings. Like, it's one thing to hurdle bad deals and then you sort of have this like window of cap space where like, you know, the, the summer of th- this past summer was the one that loomed large for me a- a- in my analysis for a while because of the timing of the Roussel Beagle Erickson deals expiring. Right. But the logic of that went out the window when, when you make the Oliver Ekman Larson trade and extend Connor Garland. Right. So now, you, you know, you've got one meaningful expiring coming off the books this summer and it's Bo Horvat. You know, and, and sort of lost in this conversation is like, how do you square getting better 
with losing your best matchup center, who's also third in the NHL in goal scored. You know, like, how does that make sense? You know, not, not, that I'm, not that I'm advocating for them to do one thing or the other, so much as I'm just looking at it and saying, if my goal is to get better fast, isn't keeping Bo Horvat a priority? Like, logically. How, how are you better if you lose Bo Horvat? And then the next summer, it's Myers is the only meaningful expiring, if they can't get rid of that deal sooner, and, and I think they'd love to. But then you're dealing with Elias Pettersson's raise. So the Myers deal almost like pays for that, right? It's like, it's like the Eric Johnson deal is expiring in Colorado, but the Nathan McKinnon extension's kicking in. So it's not like they have $6 million in cap space. Like that money's invested in keeping their team together. Um, much like the Myers deal will be, provided that the club can, you know, get a lucrative third contract done with Pedersen. And so, you know, then, then, then you're looking at like the Besser timeline or the Garland OEL Hughes timeline. But I mean, that's 2026, 2027. Like we're, we're years out from this team having meaningful cap space years, Mm -hmm. years. And so, you know, it's not uh, hurdle this for one year, like you know. Let's uh, let's uh, tighten these belts here for a little bit. Um, and if you're considering more extreme measures, things like buyouts, you know, I think you have to do so with extraordinary caution, because this team's immediate future isn't so bright that you should be willing, in my view, to limit your flexibility three, four, five years from now when truly like that could be the light of the end of the tunnel. If this team does no more damage. Um, so, you know, those to me, that's the priority, like three years, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know how this team gets that gets that much better without an amazing amount of good fortune yeah. and an injection of elite talent. Hey, Drancer, you get yelled a lot, yelled, yelled out a lot on, on on Twitter or whatever. But in I, real life, in real life, just people they don't even know your uh, Canucks media. They just kind of no, see your face and they're like, "I want to yell annoying. at that guy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, my God, I can hear this guy laughing from a block away. Um, no, but in all honesty, have you noticed that there is less pushback from what you're saying than there was, say, a year or two ago? Oh yeah. Well, during the during the Boudreaux bump portion of the season, right? It was um it was a lot. Like it was a lot a lot of people being like, "See, this team's elite. They just needed a good coach." Like you said Travis Green was a good coach. Right. You were an idiot. Look, all they needed was a real NHL bench boss. And now those same people are sort of saying the same thing <laughs> about about what's going on here. And and look, here's one thing. Here's one thing. I want to I want to make a prediction for you. I've been saving this take. I'm, I I got to write it out at some point. Okay. But in the event that you can workshop Rick it Talk- here. Yeah. In the event that Rick Tockett is brought in, right? Like, here's the thing about this Canucks team to this point. Every game they play is like nine goals scored. Right. They're third in the NHL in shooting percentage. So everything they're shooting is finding the back of the net. And they're last in the NHL in save percentage with Thatcher Demko injured. Right. So with those two facts, I'm just going to ask you the question as opposed to telling you to saying it myself. But with those two facts in mind, what's most likely to happen in Canucks games? Are they more likely to go down in scoring or up in scoring? Down in scoring. 
down in scoring, right? Yeah. They're going to regress in terms of their shooting percentage, and they're mm-hmm. going to get their starter back and start to prevent goals a little bit better, even though the defensive play, okay. uh, you know, whether the defensive play improves or not, mm-hmm. they're probably going to start to uh, allow fewer goals against. Sure. So you're, you know, I think the real risk here from a get fooled again standpoint is if the Canucks bring in a defensive minded coach and the overall flow of their games changes and and you're seeing you know more three two canucks wins low event hockey more low event or 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 at least low lower goal totals okay that that could be or should be expected to happen over the balance of the season regardless of whether or not they make the coaching change (laughs) like that's that's probably coming anyway so do not get fooled again into thinking that this team is fundamentally transformed by a change behind the bench because whether or not they like, it's just like last year, like this team couldn't score in the first 25 goals. Pedersen had a non-ice shooting percentage in the four range. Yeah. Brock Besser in the, in the five range, um, you know, JT Miller below seven, they couldn't score. They make a coaching change and all of a sudden they're scoring goals again. And it's like, man, you know, they're the smiliest smilers that ever smiled under Bruce Boudreaux. What what great vibes. Oh, man. Travis Green didn't know what he was doing. Well, they were likely to start scoring more anyway because Pedersen hadn't forgotten how to play hockey. And, you know, and, and, and everyone just sort of misattributed it and assumed that things were fixed. At least a certain segment of the fan base assumed that things were fixed. And they weren't. And we're going to see the exact same thing happen. Like, this team is not as bad as they performed like. And their goaltending is bound to get better for reasons that have nothing to do with coaching. And so when it happens, I don't want to hear the defense is fixed now. Like, this this is going to happen anyway. It's very likely to happen anyway over the balance of the season. So I, I do think we are in one of those weird moments where the risk of the conversation shifting to, to its stupidest possible um, poll uh, is like very high. And so I want to get out ahead of it and explain that this is likely to happen no matter what. I think you should call it bubble 3.0 because bubble the original, 3.0. the original bubble was the bubble bubble 2.0 was Bruce. There it is. And this could mm-hmm. be bubble 3.0. And yes. that's where all people like the Canucks are like, all right, we're good. We fixed it. Yeah. yeah. Sign some wingers. Trancer, <laughs> thanks for joining us. But I, I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to you uh yesterday on the radio. Uh part of me was like he's definitely losing his mind. He's I actually lost it, but uh it was entertaining, I suppose. Yeah, I mean I, I promise you I'm not, right? Like I promise mm. you uh, the, That's what yeah, that's I mean, what a crazy person would say. I will say this, I will say this. The the probably the uh you know I've I'm losing my mind because I decided to tail Halford's Bet on the Bucks at halftime ticket yesterday, so that was a that was a. It almost worked. It almost worked. It almost worked. Cheers, boys. Thanks, Drancer. See you, Drancer. Uh, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks talk right here on Sportsnet six fifty. I did. I did throw down on tab. I watched that whole stupid football game yesterday. Uh, I I only watched one <laughs> wild card game. From tip to tail. Like, I watched every game over the weekend, but I didn't watch them in full because I had things I had to do when I was running around. But last night, I, I carved out 
a good chunk of time where I could just sit and watch good Monday Night Football. I could mm-hmm. relax, chill out. And it was that stupid football game. So in an effort, a real desperate Hail Mary of a plea to make it interesting, I threw down on Tampa Bay at halftime when they were down 18 nothing at like plus 600. I'm like, hey, you know what? Yeah, you never know. Tom Brady, playoffs, comeback. You think Brady's done? Uh, yeah, so the... He has to be, doesn't he? The accentuation point on that was he was... He walked... Did you know he threw a career high in in passes yesterday? He's 45 years old. He's played for, I don't know, three decades. Yeah. And somehow yesterday, he threw a career high. 66 passes he threw. <laughs> anyway, as he was walking off, he waved to the fans in a very sort of like royal family-esque from the car. Goodbye, like, peons. And then in the presser... He thanked the media. Right. You have the audio? Can we play it right away? Do you have it at the ready? Okay. Here's Tom Brady in his post-game media availability yesterday after bowing out of the playoffs to the Dallas Cowboys. We're very grateful for everyone's support. And, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, I love this organization. It's a great place to be. And thank you, everybody, for welcoming me, all you regulars. And um, just very grateful for the respect. And I and, uh, hope I... Gave the same thing back to you guys, so thank you very much. So it definitely seems like he's paving the way for a goodbye. Yeah, you've heard the conspiracy theory that the only reason he came back was despite Adam Schefter for ruining his first retirement. <laughs> so <laughs> you know what? That'd be a good reason. Yeah, and then it's like, yeah, then it might have cost me my family. I hope he but, admits that. It's like, no, I did it for spite. Yeah. Honestly, just and spite then, and then he I came... respect that man more than I ever have. Yeah, right. He's like, no one's telling Tom Brady how to go out, and no one's orchestrating it except for Tom Brady. <laughs> so this could be the first sort of salvo in what's going to be the final retirement for Tom Brady. I don't. I know we're up against it for time. I don't really think, in the grand scheme of things, it's going to affect his legacy. Right? Oh, God, no. No. Because, I mean, no. well, well no. hear me out, though. Oh, no. Like, the way Brett Favre ended his career definitely affected his legacy, right? Because, yeah, he, I mean, Brady won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay, though. No, I know, but the last year, I'm just saying. Because like, yeah. this was yeah. bad. I mean, he still got to the playoffs, ah. but he got to win. So, but it's playoffs. Anyway, point. I mean, I, I, the reason that I started this by saying it's not going to affect his legacy is because it's not going to affect his yeah. legacy. But hindsight being 2020, there was no reason to come back for this year. He needed like, promo for. No, for Brady. No, it's coming no, out. That could have yeah. that could have gone <laughs> to theaters and had its six day run where everyone was like, "This movie's terrible. We shouldn't have put it in our theater." That could have done that without coming back for an eight and ten season with the Bucks. Well, you all know that we've changed as we've gotten older. We've changed our opinions on guys um, retiring early or quote unquote leaving on top because we're just like, "Hey, play as long as you want. It's you know good what exercise." He, you know what he should have done, though? and all the meals are provided. It's you know, it's like true. if you retire, you got to go get your own meals. Nothing's taken care of for you. And groceries are expensive, but okay, <laughs> hear me out. Um, he should have gone to a different team this year. Tampa Bay just felt old and tired and repetitive. It's like we've seen this yeah, and Gronkless. Yeah, like right? it would have been cool if he went to the Jets. Him, I think him and Zach Wilson would have made a good buddy comedy. I think some sort of rom-com. Sure. Yeah. Possibly yeah. involving moms. And then it would have been <laughs> it would have been it would have been great. 80 for Brady would have taken on a whole new meaning if Zach Wilson was involved. Okay, we gotta All right, go. We gotta go. We're up against it for time. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did that say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. 8.34 on a Tuesday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family. 
of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of the program, which we are right in the midst of, is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. To give you an insight of how distracted this show gets, uh, all I could think about coming back from break was if Mindy from The Simpsons had ever made a second appearance after the one where she goes to the National Nuclear Power Convention with Homer, Mm -hmm. and they almost took up. They almost did. True story. He almost had a couple of affairs, didn't he? Well, Lurleen. Yeah. Right? Now, I'm a great guy, now that I think back to me. Yeah. Mindy does appear, <laughs> Greg. Mindy does appear in another episode. The bowling episode with the Pin Pals. She's on a rival team called the Homewreckers. That is <laughs> and, correct. And Lorleen got interviewed at, the, at the, uh, some gala. We're like, Lorleen Lumpkin, where have you been? I've been living in a gutter. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, she was in rehab. Do you think if someone came into the studio and started jangling some car keys in front of us, the show would just completely fall off I had else? so yeah. many other things I yeah. needed to do at the break. Like there'd be, de- there'd be dead air for 30 seconds, and you just hear keys jingling. But I was on the Mindy. <laughs> Mindy's last name is Simmons, by the way. I was on the Mindy Simmons Simpsons wiki the entire Oh, Jimmy, you came and you gave me a retool. Yeah, there you go. All right. He's so good at that. Do you have to take care of any business? Weird, or? Andy. We already did it. Okay. Uh, let's fire up. The- oh, no. You guys have I one got, I got a Sorry. quick one here. Yeah, right. uh, okay, it better be quick. Yeah, it is. It's it's a funny one, though. Uh, a hot mic was caught in one of the games yesterday. Uh, Nick Felino. I don't know if you guys heard this. I saw that. Um, he was getting a penalty, and uh, he didn't like it too much. Two minutes for roughing. So you're telling me I should just go pound his face? Yes, Nick. That is what I'm telling so, you. I didn't see the penalty, but I'm assuming it was a pretty light roughing call on him. Right. And he's he just saying, well, what do you want me to do? I, I'm just going to go all out next time and pound his He face. got into it with Konechny, I think. Okay. And Konechny has fast established um, a reputation as being a guy. He chirps everybody. He's a little tie ratty. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, what was your uh, hot mic moment of the week? So, yeah, Felino just wanted to go wail on him, but the refs wouldn't let him. So then Felino's like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do next time. Well, what what did he – but he said, so you're telling me I should just go punch him in the face. I think what, what I'm saying is it was a light roughing call. Like he, he, tra- yeah. he, he wishes he would have just gone all out because he yeah, would have gotten the same he, penalty. He's, he, like, he was trying to – Konechny was – he was trying to goad Konechny into actually fighting. Okay. And I, Konechny was, like, doing the, like, the gloves. Like, oh, they won't come off. The right. Glenn Anderson. The gloves mm-hmm. are stuck to my hands. So then Felino was like, should I just go up and – You're telling me I should just go pound his face? <laughs> that is what I'm telling you, Nick. Go get her done. Okay, Mook out that. A dog? Yeah, I got a quick one. Um, I just want to say thank you to a loyal listener, uh, Mike Strato, who works for Vans. I casually mentioned on the air a couple weeks ago that I've been wearing Vans slip-ons for literally 20 years now. I love him. And uh, Mike Strato, he works for Vans. He's a listener of the show. He sent me a couple free pairs of shoes. Wow. So I just want to say thanks for that. And also, if anyone works Mike, I like Vans, too. Yeah, hey, if anyone uh, listening works for Sony, I love PlayStations, and I can use a (laughs) PS5. Turn it out there. Please stop. (laughs) I can already see how this is going to go. Thank you to Mike Strato, though. Oh, seriously, bud, that's awesome. So thank you. You're gonna, we're going to start having people like openly complimenting things that they can't otherwise <laughs> afford. Like, what you know the- what I really love is groceries. <laughs> do we well, have any? I was just saying, if anyone wanted to give me free groceries. What do the vans look like? Are they checkered? Uh, the black, like sl- the checkered black slip-ons, and then uh, uh, I want to say the other ones were laced ones. They both look awesome. Mm-hmm. You've seen Andy's laced shoes before. Yeah, they, I don't think Andy's style has changed that much in it's the last his, 30 no, years. The shoe I, the, I picked a style when I was in a, a rock band, and then it stayed that way forever. Right. <laughs> was it a sensible rock band? Because <laughs> those are those are the closest you can get to slippers while wearing shoes. Mm-hmm. Really. Oh, no, yeah. I love yeah. the fact that I don't have to tie laces. It's yeah. great. 
Yeah. All right, let's read some what we learned from uh, the listeners here. Yeah, moo cow, that man's shoes. What we learned, Andy got free stuff. <laughs> Ryan from Chilliwack, what I learned, it's a shame that Gino Ojek isn't in the ring of honor. What better way to celebrate one of the most iconic Canucks in their 50-year history for what he represented on the ice, what he represented off the ice for Indigenous people and Vancouver as a whole. I would have had no issue with Gino Ojek going into the ring of honor. None. Yeah. You know, I know sometimes people look at these things and they go, well, how many games did he play for the Canucks? And they look at, like, the stats. And I'm and I'm always like, you're looking at this the wrong way. Yeah. The completely wrong way. It has to be very subjective. Somebody started a petition saying they should rename the sports bar at the arena Geno's. Just call it yeah. Geno's. Geno's is a good name for a bar. That, that is. is a good name. Uh, I, know, I like um, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One, one thing on this. when I, I remember uh, back in when I actually wrote stuff for a living. I wrote for The Athletic. I did a, a huge deep dive on the Ring of Honor because mm-hmm. it was about Burroughs. Yeah. Right? Um, and I remember phrasing it as like, the Ring of Honor should be there for guys that are like folk heroes. Yeah. Right? That You, you almost have to... Their number up there, their name up there, when you point to it, it goes on to tell a story. Orland Kurtenbach's a great example, mm-hmm. right? Gino would have been the perfect example of that. Because when someone looks up and they're like, what was that player all about? There's a story to be told. And in Gino's case, there's a lot of stories to be told. Yeah. It's folklore. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, he remained a part of the organization after it's fabric. his NHL it's, it's, career. It, it's, it's just, fabric. It's history. Yeah, people right? loved him. Yeah. Universally loved. Uh, Eric the HVAC hack. What we learned, everyone complaining about the Canucks not being flexible enough can shut it. I heard them put their feet in their mouths plenty of times yesterday, and that takes real flexibility. Oh, that's a dad joke if I've ever heard one. That's pretty good. I bet Eric cuts up the AC office all day. That's pretty good, though. <laughs> Uh, Jay, the border guy from MR. A lot going on there. I think it means you work at the border and you're from Maple Ridge. It's the uh, border between Maple Ridge and Pitt I don't House. know. <laughs> he doesn't know it. Burnaby? <laughs> you guys name her one? Abbotsford? Uh, he's in Haney somewhere. Uh, hashtag WW, what we learned. There are apparently two Sebastian Ajos in the NHL. I didn't know this, and I just spent 10 confusing minutes figuring out what the hell was going on after <laughs> reading the Caps Islanders box score from last night. There are two Sebastian Ajos. I did not know this. I didn't know that either. What? Yeah. yeah. No. A lot of people don't know this. One is right? Swedish and one is Finnish, which That's is the correct. other funny right. One is good. That's why I don't know this. Uh, one, yeah. One's a forward, one's a defenseman, right? The yeah, Islanders, Islanders is Sebastian Ajo is a defenseman. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how that came to be. I can't explain, and I don't there's, really. There's want two Elias Pettersons within this organization that we follow, but they're both yeah. Swedish. That's true. But they both play different positions, like the Ajos. It's ben, too confusing. Ben and Langley. What we learned: my dad was never into sports. He's the type of guy who pays attention to the local team when they are relevant enough to make it into the regular six o'clock news. That being said, he was quite saddened to hear of Gino's passing. Yeah. He was texting me old highlights and news stories about Gino. Just goes to show how much of an impact Gino had on this city. Well, Ben and Langley, you're winning the Canucks ticket, so you can take your dad to the Canucks game on Wednesday tomorrow against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, uh, that's uh, th- the that's funny. That anecdote that always reminds me of. We used to have this thing. I think we still referenced it. Is that you know when the Canucks are either uh, doing really well or doing really poorly. When the non-traditional sports fan asks you about them, oftentimes it's uh, when they're doing really well. Like uh, it used the six to- o'clock news is like the classic barometer. Like 
we're going to head down to the team store and ask some fans about what they think about this team. Streeters in front of the team store is a huge one. Mm-hmm. I remember Chris Galis was doing one one time, and I was there. And he's like, what do you think of this team? I'm like, I don't watch hockey. And then, <laughs> and then I just walked away. Um, talking to the ticket scalpers about how Big hot time. the prices are. That is a great like just have it in the bucket for whenever there's there's it, few- it's actually time to do one of those stories based on like the opposite like how hard is it to sell Canucks tickets for more than face value right there's now. a guy that's thinking right now and no fun. I'd be honestly curious yeah. right like three um good opponents are, are are coming through Rogers Arena in the next little while Tampa Bay tomorrow Colorado on Friday and Edmonton on Saturday what's the secondary market like for this team even for those um, I I honestly have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim and North Van, what we learned, Jim Rutherford has named a new mascot for the team. And next game, Pete the Pickle will come out to replace Finn. God, we haven't even made fun of the pickle line. Yeah, we did. Yeah, did we he make played fun it, of it, though? He played it coming back from break. Oh, uh, was it Flanders? Yeah. We're in a dilly of a pickle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was so also. In a dilly of a pickle. Didn't Anchorman have a, we are, or I am in a pickle. There was a line Will Ferrell used uh, about the pickle. And then Jim Rutherford has since adopted it. To talk about the negotiations with his leading goal scorer. We are in a pickle with Bo Horvat. Let me tell you something. Uh, It is. I am in a pickle. (laughs) (laughs) How did you find that so fast? That was really good. I sent it to Laddie. Uh, From Rager, hashtag WWL, what we learned. What we learned is that even Harry Kane couldn't believe the Cowboys kicker missed four times. Oh, my God. Are we really picking on Harry Kane? I guess it was a pretty bad miss. Yeah, Harry Kane's was was too high. Mm -hmm. Brett Maher was too right and left yesterday. Well, at least Harry Kane made one of them in that game. That's true. He went one for two. Brett Maher went one for five. So (laughs) if you have no idea what we're talking about because you didn't watch last night's tragic football game, uh, Dallas Cowboys kicker Brett Maher set an NFL record for missing four extra points in a single game. And it didn't matter because they were beating the Bucks so thoroughly, but it was it was actually kind of hard to watch by the fourth one because you could tell that he didn't just have the yips. Like, he was mentally broken. Like, he was trying to steer it in. Yeah. Just trying was, to steer was, it through. He was aiming. Yeah, he was aiming, and then it was, it was just hook. Yeah. And it would miss. He was like a pitcher that couldn't throw a strike. So then they had a chance to kick a field goal when they were up pretty comfortably in that game. But on fourth down, they're like, no, we're going to go for it. And then they threw a touchdown. Dak Prescott threw a touchdown to CeeDee Lamb, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the narrative shifted to, we're never kicking again. Like, we're just going to go for it on fourth down and go for two. But they let Mar come out to kick the field goal at the end. Or sorry, the extra point on that one. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh my God, they're going to let him do it for a fifth time. And the camera cut away. What? They didn't even show like the actual kick or the reaction or anything. It was just this sort of quick, it was like a customary extra point, like right. a perfunctory cut and then mm-hmm. gone. And he made it though. And he made it. Did and- it look good when he made it? Eh. A sneak in there? <laughs> At that point, he needed to hit it so pristine and so perfect. But I don't like, I don't, what do you do now? Do you just say, ah, yeah, you had a bad game? Don't worry about it. Jerry, Jerry Jones suggested they're not going to replace him. It's crazy. I don't know. For me, the bigger story of that game. Well, this wasn't I, the biggest story. And I was fortunate enough not to watch the game. Yeah. But for me, it was seeing what Dak Prescott did because there were so many questions about yeah. this guy. And, like, and I, have, I, I, I have to admit, like, I was the biggest, well, not the biggest, but I was one of these Dak Prescott doubters. 
Because like you can see yeah. that occasionally he was good. He, he was can very put together good. a good game, good. Yeah. but it's just avoiding the big mistake. And I think that's still a factor going forward. He's a really high ceiling, really low floor quarterback. When it's bad, it's really bad. When it's good, it's very good. Uh, John and Camby Village, what we learned, the siege mentality. I like that. And Canucks hockey, hockey operations is somehow so insulted from the fan base that Jim Rutherford seems to believe that Vancouver hockey fans are actually angry by individual losses or the instant gratification of a couple of home playoff dates. Newsflash, Jim, we are not booing any individual performance. We are seeing losses through the lens of 10-plus years of short-term thinking, and we want to see a plan that has more than a one-and-a-half-season horizon. I think John and Cam Camby Village, I mean, I, Preach. I, he doesn't speak for everyone, but he speaks for me. Speaks for a lot of people, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, when I keep hearing Jim Rutherford saying, like, we all know this wants to – like, everyone wants for, for this to get fixed. but And then he's like, but unfortunately it can't be fixed quickly. You're like, yeah, we know, Jim. It is the – I heard – I think it was Jamie Dodd said this yesterday on the show. And I thought this was a great line. The fan base's impatience is with the Canucks impatient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the fan base is impatient watching the Canucks being impatient all the time. Right. That's, that's I, a good way of putting and it. And I think that back and forth between Drantz and Jim Rutherford was fascinating in that Jim Rutherford asked Drantz, like, I was like, well, what do you think is a quick turnaround? Mm -hmm. And Drance was like, three years. And Jim was like, oh, yeah, we can do it in three years. I can do that. Three's nothing. Yeah. Three's nothing, yeah. right? Like, And it's just, you know, I think a lot of people in Vancouver here are like, hey, I don't care if it takes five years. Just do it right. Just give us a team that can compete on a regular basis. And they just don't see the path forward to Stanley Cup contending by – targeting reclamation projects, which is what Jim Rutherford said yesterday. Uh, he would prefer reclamation projects than draft picks. Which His is, words, not mine. Which is weird considering this draft class is so fantastic. Like, I'd get it if it was maybe last year's draft class, which was a little weak. I mean, he also said But this that, one's amazing. He also said that we're going to keep our draft picks and hopefully add more draft picks. And to that, for me, I was like, oh, so more of like – you want your cake and you want to eat it too. Like, how are you going to do all that? On that how note, are you going to, how are you going to do all these things? Like, you have limited assets right now. Uh, on that note, Gunner from Kelowna with a what we learned. Hashtag WWL what we learned. Rutherford blamed coaching for a lack of structure at training camp. I see a huge lack of structure and planning on his behalf. Rutherford is all over the place. Still hoping for a turnaround. That's from Gunner in Kelowna. Uh, one of my takeaways from yesterday was um, the Canucks and Rutherford – They've almost turned into like a content farm. Like there's so much stuff going on right now that it's like one of those uh, the the new social media, new media platforms, new entertainment platforms where it's like we just need content every day. We need something new to talk about. You know what's crazy is that press conference yesterday was called um, to address the Tanner Pearson situation, which in itself was content, and they brought up um, two of the medical staff, which is a very rare move to do this. Like I can't remember it ever happening. Maybe it did, but it's, it's not every season, it's not every week that the president of hockey ops goes up there with two senior members of the medical staff to address an injury and what happened. And yet 
45 minutes later, nobody was talking about what they said. Now, partly that was because they were limited in in what they could say based on privacy issues. But this is everyone knows. There's a story there, too. There's a story about how this Canucks medical group was put together because they made there's, a bunch of changes. There's some more content. It, it, I know there are reporters working on it. But what's going on? Who is this Harry CC guy who's all of a sudden so influential in the Canucks medical staff? Like the the other uh, sorry, what, what is his name? Uh, the Canucks team doctor that they they brought up, um, the older gentleman. Is it uh, Reagan? He's been around for a while, right? Like he's been. I mean, he's been a fixture. Doctor Bill Reagan is the uh, head team physician, and, and and has been I think for a while. Mm-hmm. But the other guy hasn't. Who is this guy? So listen, we're going to table that. But I'll just be very curious to see how this medical group was put together. But it was funny, but my point is that after that Jim Rutherford press conference, like we weren't even talking about the topic that they called the press conference for. That's what I'm saying. Because he went on for like half an hour about the state of the franchise, and the state of the franchise is troubled. We barely talked about the fact that he said, and I quote, Bruce is our coach for now. Yeah, I was just thinking that. We're, we're talking to other coaches, but we got this guy now. We, we just really completely like, yeah. we're, we're like, yeah. we, we can't talk about that. How does Boudreaux feel about that comment? Like, he's probably like, oh, great, thanks. The Canucks, cool. the Canucks are a content farm. Uh, they are. <laughs> it's I, like that tweet. It's like, uh, I feel bad for the team, but this is great, great content. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Canucks are basically the first couple of years of the Trump presidency. Yeah. Like, this is horrible for our country. But man, <laughs> is this content. good content. Yeah. Right. Who this said is- that? Darren Ravel. Oh, Darren Ravel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, but it, I, I've, that's what I want to coin it. I'm like, this is horrible for the organization, but this is amazing content. It's true. Because, well, James yeah. from Richmond texts in, it's entertaining, guys. I love the drama. A lot of times it's better than the game itself. Here's the thing, though, because there was a second part to my thought when I was working this out last night. In my mind, Grapes, um, the problem and the inherent flaw with all of these incessant content generators and content farms is that it's all empty calories and it doesn't add up to anything. Mm-hmm. There's no payoff in the end. But it's delicious. But there's no payoff in the end. This lo- is this is the, the whole the sole purpose of this, at least from our perspective, you and I, since the day we've done this, is like we want to see this team win a Stanley Cup. There's an end goal. And I think a lot of fans And get some cheap laughs along the way. Sure, right. And make some money. <laughs> Maybe but- the real Stanley Cup was the friends we made along the way. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when you look at all of this and you're like, well, it's entertaining. You can't say that. And you're talking about uh, like Wyshynski comes on and he's like, say what you will. This team is always giving you something to talk about. It's like, yes, it does. But we have that. But it's a lot of the same stuff over and over again. And and none of it builds towards what I think is everybody's ultimate goal, which is to hoist that big silver mug at the end of this and say, oh, my God, it finally worked. We finally won a Stanley Cup. Can you believe it? Yeah. Now, it's a bit naive to think that that's the only thing, but I look at it sometimes, and I'm like, God, there's a lot of th- – like yesterday, there's a lot of things to talk about. It's empty calories. It's junk food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not going towards anything. It's right. Just, yeah. just, right. Just consuming it. I like I like it when we get texts in like this. Okay. Could, Rutherher- could Rutherford have been lying in order to throw off the rest of the GMs into what he really wants? Does he have a history at all of being that sly? I would like to say yes. But this is like, this, <laughs> this is the desperation mode that the yeah. Canucks fan base has been sent to do. Like, Jim, you're maybe, on TV. We can see you winking. Maybe, DHS. maybe everything he said was actually the opposite. He's playing the of long what game. Thanks. Uh, also, you know, the other thing that he said yesterday that we haven't really <laughs> talked about is when he deadpanned, like, I thought we were tanking. Yeah. <laughs> 
No that, one says that. Like, I, I I respected the hell out of it. I'm like, good on that guy, man. Because that's a quip that I would have made if I was up there. It's like tanking. Have you watched this? We're tanking. Yeah. Right? It was a great I moment. liked when he was asked to, like about the, the tough position Bruce Boudreaux was in. He's like, we're all in tough positions. Yeah. <laughs> he's got good comedic. <laughs> you know what? He's got good comedic timing. I'll say that. He's good. He's a good, a good, good rebuttal. He's got a good one-liner. Let's just hope that the rest of the job goes as well. We should we get- stream the next presser and just have us do live reactions to it. Just you guys on TV giving live responses as it goes. <laughs> we could. We could be like the Manning cast. But yeah. For press conference. Exactly. Okay, we got to go. Uh, it's been fun. As always, we're back tomorrow. So please, once again, tune in and have a laugh with us, will you? Or won't you? Tune in, yeah? I got to go. Signing off. I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. He's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We're in a pickle here, okay? That's a dilly of a pickle.